Hello, it's Vikas Porta, Chairman of the Vaki Foundation. You are listening to a session from our Global Education and Skills Forum, a place where leading politicians, businesses, philanthropists, activists, and of course, the world's best teachers share, debate, and discover new ways for education to transform our world. Keep the global conversation going and share your thoughts on the topics discussed with the hashtag GESF. So welcome, everyone. Thank you for coming. Today, we're going to be talking about universities and how they're coping with change. We've heard a lot in the last day or so about innovation. Um, traditional institutions are now hiring innovation officers and embracing digital delivery. Digitization of information, access to data, and the democratization of knowledge are transforming higher education. And universities are being asked, are they doing enough to prepare students for the future? As costs rise, they're under more pressure to become accountable. And students are becoming consumers rather than grateful recipients of a university education. So how are universities adapting? Should they become more entrepreneurial or collaborate more? Can they broaden their reach? What will the university of the future look like? And are lectures a thing of the past? Um, all of our guests today are working with universities which are experimenting with new ways of doing things. Um, we have, let me just find my introductions. Jeroen Jantz. Um, Jeroen is Director of Education at Erasmus University, Rotterdam, and he also teaches media and communication. He first began teaching in the 1980s, and even then he tried to mix things up. He's interested in how students' engagement in their learning affects their development. Uh, next, Mariella. Mariella Vandermeer is Vice President of Global Affairs at the African Leadership University, which is a new and innovative university with a mission of educating three million ethical leaders for Africa and the world by 2060. Uh, next is Navid Ijaz. Uh, he's Regional Manager at Middle East and Africa for Minerva Schools at KGI. He's got more than 10 years of experience of working internationally in student recruitment, partnerships, and counseling. And last, Dr. Philip Regeer <laughs> is Dean for Educational Initiatives at Arizona State University. And he's also in charge of an initiative to make the university more inclusive at a digital level. His university enrolls some 40,000 fully online students in degree programs. Um, so I wondered if we could kick off perhaps with just um, each of you in a nutshell, give me your thoughts on um, what are the biggest issues facing universities and higher education. I don't know, your own if you want to. Yes, I would like to kick off. Just to clarify, I'm from Holland, public university, and that is a difference compared to some other schools. And one of the big challenges we face is increasing student numbers, and that goes very quickly, coinciding with a development I very much support, the internationalization of our student body. So we have students from all over the globe coming to our university to get a high quality education. Challenge is to make internationalization of your program. That means diversifying your teaching staff. That means a focus on inclusiveness as one of the key features of your program. And that's a challenge that goes beyond just teaching in English or just having a non-Dutch international teaching staff. Okay, 
Uh, can everyone hear me? Yes. Uh, so yeah, so in, in, in my view, I think the, the three main challenges of the traditional higher education model and that we're facing today have to do with relevance, uh, accessibility and affordability. So I think a lot of the you know, traditional universities are still very much modeled on how they were designed centuries ago, uh, and that model hasn't really changed that much. Um, and obviously the world has changed a lot. And I think a lot of universities will be, are trying to innovate, but are very much impaired by the legacies that they carry and um, the systems that they need to sustain. So it's very hard to innovate within, you know, within that discourse that has been going on for, for centuries. And if you combine that with accessibility issues, uh, caps on the number of places that are available at universities, and then a very, very big pain point is affordability. So how do you actually, um, how can you actually solve for all those 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 challenges? Um, what we are doing, but we'll talk about it a little bit later, but I actually firmly believe that it's easier to start something completely from scratch than to try and change something that already exists. So uh, we've actually started building a whole new university from scratch. Hi, everyone. So I, I very strongly believe that uh, two of the biggest factor for the higher education to sort of change, one is globalization, and the other one is the change or the progress that technology has made. I mean, when we go back and look back, you know, and you see um, what Marielle was also talking about, universities 500 to 70, 700 years ago, it's still the same process as in, you know, we still go by the old ways as lecturing and all of that. And, you know, whereas when we see as to how much we have progressed in today's world. So universities, I think, in other words, are also sort of like there's a lot of pressure on higher education institutions also to, to adapt to these changes. Thank you. So... Um, obviously, I'm going to speak from a United States perspective. That's what I know best. And there are two critical challenges in the United States. The first one is what we refer to as the achievement gap. And this is the idea that if you're from a low socioeconomic status, there's a much lower probability that you'll ever graduate with a university degree. If you're from the top income quartile, there's an 80% chance that you receive a university degree. If you're from any of the bottom three quartiles, the bottom 75%, there's only a 28% chance that you'll receive a degree. If you have the misfortune to be born into the bottom income quartile, there's only about a 10% chance that you receive a degree. So that's an incredible challenge uh, for the United States. Uh, and I'd say the second big challenge is the fact that United States schools may be easy to get into, but they're hard to get out of. And so 50% of the people who begin post-secondary education in the US never graduate with any type of certificate six years later. So there are 44 million people in the United States who have some post-secondary education, but no degree. And the rewards, the economic rewards, the life rewards, the civic responsibility rewards, go to people who have at least an undergraduate degree. So that's a huge problem and, and a huge overhang that we have to overcome. Okay, thank you. Um, I wondered if we wanted to talk about um, student involvement and possibly when you're scaling up and making things more accessible, how difficult that becomes. Um, we've heard in this conference that actually learners like to be engaged personally. They like the sort of one-to-one -one from um, academics. So do you not lose that with digital delivery? Do you not lose that with the, the sort of upscaling that you might be talking about? I don't know who wants to. 
Well, if, if you refer to uh, digital tools we may use, it, it's rather the opposite. And, and I like to emphasize that when you introduce digital technology in your teaching, and my perspective now is combining it with campus teaching, you should be aware of the fact that it's not just throwing instruments at people, and people can include teachers as well as students, but it's also about the culture. Uh, it facilitates clearly a culture, what we could abbreviate as co-creation, because you can create many opportunities for students to be active online, create products online, sitting together wherever they want, at home or on campus, and then have that product, and have your teachers relate to that product and have the students, well, to, to help them to raise their hand one little bit higher. So I'm very much in favor of, and I could cite many examples of how we do that at Erasmus University, where students are completely involved in these projects, especially building on the opportunities your digital tools offer you. Yeah, I actually want to comment from a slightly different perspective, I think, so not so much around a digital perspective, but um, I think that moving towards a learning model that is more student-driven versus um, teacher-driven. I think um, traditionally education has kind of centered around around a professor because obviously the professor was the person who was kind of holding the access to information, but at you know, at this day and age, information is readily available with a click of a finger. So a student can actually really take ownership of their own learning experience. And that also facilitates peer, peer learning. So I think if you, ha if, you, if you allow for students to actively um, uh, um, create their own learning, curate their own learning environment and their own learning experience and engage in student-driven and peer-to-peer -peer, um, kind of activities and the role of the professor to become much more one of facilitating, a facilitator rather than uh, the, the holder of, of knowledge. I think in that way uh, you can scale and you can involve students and you can also make full use of digital sources in that, in that process. So that's how I would see that. For us at Minerva, um, I am very proud of the fact that we, are, we call ourselves a very non-traditional school. So everything that we do is against the traditional system from the way we deliver the program. So, I mean, in fact, everything that we have in terms of the classroom experience and everything, it's through a forum that we use. So it used to be called Active Learning Forum. Um, we just recently renamed it to forum. So what happens is that it has active engagement of the students. So we use flipped classroom model where um, the student actually get pre-readings before they come to the class. So it's kind of like having their homework and having you know, the, the lecture before they come to the class. So when they come to the class, it's much more debate and discussion. And that's how we sort of engage them into, I mean, you know, making sure that they acquire the practical skills that they require. So it's a very different system, and I'm sure we're talking about lectures later on, right? So we, I can give you much more detail on that. So I guess five or six years ago, it suddenly struck me that this idea that uh, uh, digital learning is depersonalized is exactly the wrong take. Um, this is very much a traditional classroom model. And right now, I'm treating every person in the room in exactly the same way. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I'm basically producing a product. It's faculty-centric. What I want to teach you is what you're going to learn, and that's it. Uh, one thing that we've done, and I can talk about a few things, but one thing that we've done that's been incredibly successful 
has been to adopt uh, adaptive learning technology at freshman level classes, first year classes, uh, that traditionally had failure rates of 25 to 35 percent. Those uh, systems treat every student individually. Uh, they understand the, what you know and you know and you know about a particular topic is different and they feed up content based upon that prior knowledge. We then go into a classroom where the faculty have a dashboard, understand exactly what the different students know, can divide them into small groups. The students who are achieving at a high level can be challenged further, and the faculty can really focus on uh, assisting students who need remediation. So it is, in fact, a much more personalized model. And by the way, the failure rates in those classes have gone from 25 to 35 percent to closer to 5 to 10 percent. So it's incredibly effective. It's much more personalized. And I have other examples as well. Um, I wanted to move on, actually, and look now at the role of research um, in, within universities and the relationship between um, that and teaching. So we've heard, you know, obviously we all know the, the model of a tenured professor who finds students a slight annoyance and interruption to his or her research. Um, is there, but, but do students still want that sort of academic background, that that backup of knowledge and rigor behind um, the people who teach them? Or is there, is there more space now for Mariella's model of um, teaching teachers who aren't necessarily focused on their research? I don't know, your own if you want to. There are definitely big differences between what one could call a traditional university dating back centuries uh, across the board, across many countries I'm familiar with. The emphasis definitely is on research if a university is well organized, the fruits from research translate into teaching. That's for me as a director of education, one of the things that I can inspire teachers to spend time on increasing their qualification to offer them courses where they can communicate about their own research. But we should also note that when we talk about research-based teaching, it's also about that it's very important to study your interventions and to see to what extent they're effective, and that's often forgotten. I think traditional universities have a role here because they already have that huge knowledge potential in research. They have qualified people, as we have at my own university, so what we also do is we experiment with certain changes in, for example, teaching format, and we study these in, in longitudinal formats in order to see whether that's effective and whether the effects are as predicted. Fortunately, they often are, but sometimes they are not. And I consider it very brave of my bosses, the executive board of the university, that we also decided to stop one of the innovations at Erasmus University because it did not deliver the effects one thought beforehand. So research is, is in fact, has two phases you see two different things. One is the research qualification of the university per todo, relating to the knowledge you want to, to transfer. You want to engage students in acquiring that knowledge. That's the message. But on the other hand, there's also research about how you teach in the field of didactics, for example. And I consider that to be very important. I, I think there's a problem, isn't there, with the new university setting up. It's too, it takes too long to, um, you know, set up the whole infrastructure of a traditional university. So how, how do you cope? 
Yeah, so I can, I can talk a little bit about that because obviously, and, and specifically to the African context, right? So um, if you look at Africa, it's the fastest growing continent in the world. It will soon, by 2035, it will have the largest young workforce in the world. It will have a billion workers, uh, more than China, more than India. However, if you look at tertiary enrollment rates at the moment and across the continent, it's about 10%. That compares to about 26% in India and 70% in, in, in Europe and the US. So if you, so obviously we're sitting on a brink of a potential crisis here that is not just a crisis for Africa, but it's a crisis for the world. So if we wanted to build enough universities the size of Harvard to actually get to the enrollment rates of let's say India, so 26%, which is not even that much neither, uh, we would have to build 17 Harvards for the next, sorry, 17 Harvards for the next 20 years, every year. So you can't do that. So in, in, as, you, as you say, there's not enough people um, and there's not enough of, there's, there's a scarcity of, of professors and of, of academia to, to do that. So, uh, so that's definitely one of, the, one of the reasons why we are not focusing on research. But that's not to say that research should be discarded altogether, but I think this is where partnerships come in as well. Like how can we actually actively engage, like going and moving away from the more traditional model, but there are still different ways of doing research. There's also ways of doing research within industries and not necessarily within academia. There's ways in which academic collaborative partnerships can kind of like infuse research into the newer universities that might not have that capacity themselves um, and that become much more of a blended, um, uh, a blended system. So that's, that's kind of how I, how I look at it. I don't know if, um, Navid, you want to say something on what Minerva is doing. And yeah, so I think it goes back to what the objective or the mission was uh, when the university started. So we are also a new school. We started seven 